Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to the very first book. Go to the book of Genesis while you're turning there. Let me just say uh, briefly, thank you so much for uh, being the kind of church that, uh, that a pastor can just love to lead. You know, thank you so much. There is a, uh, there's a lot of books at the bookstore about leadership. I mean, there's a whole section. You go to Barnes & Noble, and you can find all kinds of books on leadership. You know what section I can't find? Followership. I don't know why, because followership is critical to good leadership. I mean, you know, I can't help but think about uh, the greatest leader that ever was, God. Uh, and he had this great church going up in heaven, and a third of them split off and followed the devil. So come on, if God had a church split, how many of you know leadership needs good followership? <laughs> I certainly ain't capable, and I just thank God for this church and for the heart to say, you know what, we, we just believe uh, in the vision and the leading of the Lord, and we're going to pursue that with all of our hearts. I want you to know I was bragging on you yesterday. I was teaching a class for the Pendel School of Ministry, a bunch of uh, people that are getting their credentials and preparing to... Uh, serve the Lord in a calling, and I just had a chance to testify about what God is doing in and through this church, and everything that God has done in the last five years now since we've been here ha has been because of the heart and the humility of the body of Christ, to just say, you know what, we're going to trust that this is the word of the Lord, this is the vision from God, and we're going to follow it, and we're going to pursue it, and, and if I'm just honest, and I hope I am, I'm in church. I know a lot of people that can preach just as good, lead just as good. Lots of people that are way more qualified than, than us, but their church isn't doing what this church is doing. And that's why I say good leadership demands good followership. And so I know it's Pastor Appreciation Day, and, and we're grateful for that. But can we just uh, give a round of applause for the church one time? Because I just thank God for this church. Amen. As you saw in the video intro there, I want to speak to you today about reestablishing the altar. I want to talk to you about reestablishing the altar. And, and if you only hear one thing today, let it be this. Hear this with your heart today because I'm fully convinced God wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. I don't know if you're processing or if you don't believe that, but at least not at me. He wants to meet with you. God has paid the ultimate price through the blood of his own son, Jesus, so that he could break down the barrier, and we call that sin, between him and us, so that we could meet with him. And what he did, he wants to do in our hearts and lives today. So let me just say this again, because you need to grab a hold of this truth today. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, wherever you've been, whatever your future might be, God wants to meet with you. God's not hiding. He's not holding himself back. He's not angry. He's not mad at you. God is waiting for you. In fact, the Bible says this in James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, come near to God and he will come near to you. I, I want to say that verse again because you're so quiet. You're scaring me. <laughs> come near to God and he will come near to you. 
there's, there's an offer that stands before you and I today. Here it is. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Let me ask, who's supposed to move first? Come near to God, and he will come near to you. See, there's a lot of people that they're waiting on God. If God would show up, if God would do this, if God would show me, then I would right? If you do, I will. And we play this game and we're, we're waiting on God. And the invitation is this, you move, you come and I'll come. You open up and I'll show up. If you come near to God, God will come near to you. And I wanted you to go to Genesis beginning in chapter three, because this is where we see the first expression of God's grace demonstrated through a sacrificial process. Many of you are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and how God created the first man and woman and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That was the only command. It wasn't 10 commandments, there was one because everything was perfect, because there was no sin. So God just said, just keep doing what you're doing and and do more of it. Be fruitful and multiply. That was the plan of God for their life. And the Bible says they walked with God in the cool of the day. They had an intimate relationship with God. Can you imagine just walking side by side, arm in arm with your creator? But many of us know how the story played out, that the enemy, Satan, came in the form of a serpent and he tempted Eve and she shared that forbidden fruit with Adam. And all of a sudden, sin entered the human narrative. The Bible says they were suddenly made aware. They were aware of their sinfulness. And you know what they did? The first thing that they did when they became aware that they had sin in their life, they hid. They hid. First, they hid themselves from each other because suddenly they were self-conscious. Wouldn't you love to live in a world where you weren't self-conscious? They hadn't been without sin, but because of sin, now... They felt inferior. They felt inadequate, even in each other's presence. And so they sewed fig leaves together. They made clothes for themselves, and they hid. But they didn't just hide from each other. The Bible says they hid from God. They hid from God. That's what sin does. Sin comes in, and it causes us to want to hide from God. And can I just say today, there are a lot of people that are still hiding. There are people that are hiding from God. Now, some, they, they wouldn't dare grace the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. They'd be afraid that the building would fall in on them. And so they're hiding from God as far away as possible. But if we're honest today, the truth is there's a lot of people that are hiding in the house of God. Because we can, we can just come in and we can go through the motions and like a, a chameleon, we can just fit in with the environment. But in our hearts, and that's what God's looking at today, he's looking at our hearts And in the same way he came to Adam, he comes to us. And the question was, Adam, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? So God comes to them and they don't measure up anymore. Sin is now a part of their DNA. And by the way, we're all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Sin is in all of our DNA. And yet God demonstrates grace. This is the first picture that we see of God reconciling a relationship between him and his creation through a sacrifice. And there's one verse I want you to see in Genesis 3. It's verse 21. It's a beautiful picture. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He didn't have to do that. He gave them one rule. I mean, come on. 
one rule and they broke it. He could have just kicked them out of the garden. He could have just left them out there. But God did something that was so full of grace. He clothed them. And he didn't just clothe them with a better leaf. He clothed them with the skin of an animal. In other words, God killed something. There was a sacrifice that was made. And the Bible says that God clothed them with garments. He graced them. Listen, the testimony of the church is not we are sinless. The testimony of the church is we have better garments. That's the testimony of the church. It's that God has clothed us. Isaiah 61 says it like this. It says, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed me with a robe of his righteousness. That's what it means to be saved. It means that, that we felt our own sinfulness like Adam and Eve did in the garden and that God in his grace came to us and he made a sacrifice and he has robed us in his righteousness. If you look at the next chapter, we meet their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the first two people in the human race to be born in sin. Now, every one of us after them were born in sin which means they didn't have that privilege of growing up in the garden. They didn't have the kind of intimate relationship that their parents had with God. Something was different. And we don't get all the details in Genesis 4, but we get enough to understand that there was a system that God had put in place. There was a way for even them being born in sin to have a relationship with God. And we know there was a system and a right way to do it because The Bible says Cain and Abel both brought offerings to the Lord in Genesis 4. The Bible says that Cain brought fruit from the ground. But Abel, the Bible says, brought a sacrifice. He brought a sacrifice. And I want you to see verse 7 in Genesis 4. Because God says something to Cain that every one of us need to hear this morning. He said to Cain... If you do what is right, if you do what is right, which means there is a right way to do this, Cain, and there's a wrong way. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. You know what this verse says? That all the way back in the beginning, with the first two men that were born with a sinful nature on the inside of us like you and I have, that right there, God created a way for an unholy people to come to a holy God. He created a way. And the first time that we hear about an altar explicitly spoken about in the scriptures, it's in chapter 6. Let's go another couple pages here to chapter 6. And it's the story of Noah. Now, many of you, again, you're familiar with with the story, but let me give you the highlights. The Bible says that humanity had become so corrupt that God regretted that he even made the human race. That's how wicked the society was in Noah's day. Look with me at verse 7 and 8 in Genesis 6. It says, the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. 
Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's something different about this man. He found favor with God, and so God gave him instructions. He said, Noah, I want you to build an ark of safety for your family. It took him 120 years to build that ark. 120 years of preaching, of prophesying, of warning people. God said it's going to rain. God said judgment is coming. You need to seek God. You need to seek God. And they laughed at him. 120 years and not a single convert. Man, I wonder what pastor appreciation looked like for Noah. (laughs) Nobody listened until finally it started to rain. And it kept raining. And it kept raining. And it kept raining. And the Bible says not only did the rain fall from the heavens, but it sprang up from the earth. For 40 days and for 40 nights, God flooded the earth. And only Noah and his family and the animals on the ark were saved. And then when the rain finally stopped, it still took another 150 days for the water to recede enough that the ark could become lodged on Mount Ararat. And even from then, it was months before the water finally receded until there was dry ground. And Noah opened the doors of the ark. And he stepped out onto dry ground. It was, like, it was like Neil Armstrong stepping out onto the moon. I mean, this was one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind. Noah's foot was the first foot to step down on a newly purified planet Earth. And I can promise you, he didn't plant a flag for his family or for his people or for his nation. You know what he did? He built an altar. He built an altar. I want you to look at it with me. It says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though, now listen to this, don't miss this, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. I I want you to wrap your heart and your mind around this picture. God smells the aroma of the sacrifice. He sees the smoke rising toward heaven, and he makes a decision in that moment. He says, I'm going to give grace. I'm going to give redemption. I'm going to give relationship, even though I know that after I give it to you, you're going to leave church, and you're going to go back out, and you're going to make the same mistakes. Even though I know that your inclination is always towards sin, that you're bent on self-destruction, even though... You're going to make all these promises to me today, and you're going to go out, and you're going to break them because I see the altar, and because I see the sacrifice that is being burned and consumed there. I choose grace for you. Listen today. If there's any distance between where you are right now and where God wants you to be, you need to reestablish the altar. You need to reestablish the altar because it's at the altar that we close the gap. It's in that place that we come near to God. Can I just say today, the altar has always been a place where
where people come near to God. And, and there may be a thousand reasons that you could be motivated to come near to God today. But I don't have time for a thousand reasons. So I'm going to give you about three of them, maybe four. I want to tell you why you need to reestablish altars today. Here's the first altar. We need to come to an altar of repentance. Repentance. God used Moses in the Old Testament to deliver his people, Israel, out of bondage and captivity in Egypt. He, he brought them out after 400 years of oppression. He delivered them out. They, they crossed through the Red Sea. They escaped Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen. And what do you think the first thing is that God told them to do? Anybody want to take a guess? Build an altar. I knew you were going to get it anyway. Sorry, I spoke too soon. Build an altar. It's the first thing that he said. Build an altar. I want you to look at it with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Verse 24, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you. Hear that. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and I will bless you. And so God gives them instructions on how to build the altar. He gives them instructions on what to put upon the altar and when to put things upon the altar. And he gives them a place and a system for how they can draw near to God. And, and the difference between them in the old covenant and us today is simply this. We have a far better altar. We have a better altar today. Aren't you glad that we don't have to sacrifice any animals this morning? I mean, come on. I'd get out of the ministry quick. I got a gag reflex. I ain't cutting up and butchering anything for you. You got to do that on your own. We have a better altar. This verse has ministered to me all this week. I want, I want to read it to you. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. It says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. See, under the old covenant, the, the, the temple priest would serve at the altar, and their portion, their provision for them and for their family was from the altar. And the new covenant in Hebrews, he says, they don't have a right to touch this altar. They don't have a right to eat from this altar because our altar was outside of the city. Our altar was on a hill called Calvary. Our altar is Jesus. And I want to tell you today, you can come to that altar and your life can be changed. And might I add, it can be changed again. Why, why reestablish the altar? See, maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never come to an altar to meet with God. But really, I'm talking to the church today to reestablish the altar. And the reason we need to reestablish it is simply this, because you're still a sinner. Yes. 
I'm still a sinner. I, I know that doesn't encourage you, and you're probably not writing that down, but you just need to know it's the truth. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so when we come before God, the sin that separates you from God is removed. And how many of you know we mess up again? We sin again. And it wants to take its rightful place between you and your holy God. And so that's why we need to reestablish this altar of repentance. You you might come to the altar and repent of your sins at one time, but sometimes you got to come back to that same altar of repentance and rededicate your life, recommit your whole heart to God. The Bible says it like this in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to the Lord. That's what we're to do as the people of God. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, here's the problem with a living sacrifice. Anytime the fire gets hot on your life, you crawl off the altar. A living sacrifice has to be placed back on the altar again. You got to reestablish those commitments that you once made. Jesus said to the church in Revelation, this one thing I have against you, you've forsaken your first love. In other words, you you stopped coming to the altar. You you gave everything to me, but then you took it back. And we have to reestablish this altar of, of total commitment. Let me tell you why the altar of repentance is so important to the Christian. Because the longer you walk with Jesus, the more aware you are of the sin in your life. Don't you hate that? I mean, wasn't it great when you just, you know, you just didn't know. I mean, ignorance is bliss, right? Look, when you got saved, I don't know how much of the gospel you knew, but the Bible says you don't have to know much. You come with childlike faith. You come with a simple belief, a recognition that I need a Savior, and it's not me. I need Jesus to save my life. And so you came. You prayed a prayer. You surrendered your life to God. You didn't have the Spirit of God living in you. He was drawing you, but he wasn't living in you. The Bible says the Spirit draws us to salvation. But when we're saved, what happens? The Spirit of God comes to dwell on the inside of us. You're a new creation. You change. You're not who you used to be. And so all of a sudden, the things that you used to do, they don't settle the way they used to settle. You can't keep living the same lifestyle you lived before the Spirit of a holy God came and lived on the inside of you. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. There's something that all of a sudden begins to change on your outlook. The Bible says we are renewed in our minds day by day by Christ Jesus. And so all that you're thinking is different. The stuff that didn't used to bother you before that bothered God, now it bothers you because God lives in you. That's called conviction. It's different than condemnation. Condemnation always pushes you down, says you're never enough. Conviction calls you up in Christ. And you felt it, and I felt it, and we know God said you were created for more than this, son. You can do better than this. I've got a higher calling for you. Don't let that pull you down or slow you down from your purpose. And the Spirit of God starts pulling you up. The Bible word is sanctification. We're becoming more like Jesus as the Spirit takes control of more of our lives. You didn't have that before you got saved. That's why coming to the altar and and giving your heart to Jesus one time is not enough. You got to come back to the altar 
as the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and prune you and refine you and make you more like Jesus. You've got to continue to lay that stuff down and say, God, I surrender that to you. Those old habits, those old mindsets, those old deceptions of the enemy, those temptations I used to give into, that carnal way of thinking, the stuff I used to indulge myself in. I can't live the way I used to live. I have a holy God on the inside of me. And so we come back and we build an altar of repentance. And we pray like David, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take not your spirit away from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's a heart. It comes to an altar that says, God, I, I repent. And I tell you today, the altar was not meant to be a one-time experience in your faith journey. No matter where you're at in your relationship with God, I want to challenge you today. Re-establish the altar. For some of you, that's an altar of repentance. Let me tell you the second altar that some of us need to come to, and it's an altar of remembrance. It's an altar that remembers what God has done. It's an altar that serves as a memorial for God's faithfulness in your life. Can I just tell you today, the altar is not just a place that you go when things are broken. The altar is a place you go when things are blessed, when God has been good, when God has been favorable, when God has shown up on your behalf. The altar of remembrance is a place that you go to make a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship to recognize that God has been faithful in your life. And we see that in the word of God, this altar, this place of praise. Genesis chapter 33 tells an incredible story about two brothers, Jacob and Esau. When they were younger, Jacob had deceived his brother. He tricked him out of his birthright as the firstborn son. The Bible says that Esau was so angry. He was so angry, he's, he's, he vowed. I will kill my brother. You thought you had family problems. I will kill him. And their mom got wind of it, and so she goes to Jacob, and she says, you got to go, son. You got to go live with your uncle up in the mountains. You cannot stay here. And so he does. Jacob leaves. And God blesses his life. But through all the blessing, he knows there's something that's wrong. There's something that's wrong until finally one day God calls him and he says, I want you to go back to your people. And he's afraid. <laughs> he remembers. He can still hear his brother's vow in his ears. He knows. I, I can't go back. My brother's going to kill me. In fact, I, I want you to look at verse 11 in Genesis 32. This is just a part of his prayer. He's praying to God on the night before he's going to meet his brother that he hasn't seen in a long time. Here's what he says. Save me, I pray. From the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. In other words, he said, he's not just going to come on me. He's going to attack everything that God has given me. He's going to kill the women and the children. God, help me. He knows he doesn't deserve to be received with open arms by his brother. But in chapter 33, there, there's a beautiful picture of grace. There's a beautiful picture of what happens when somebody receives something they didn't deserve. Unmerited favor and kindness. Look at it with me. It says in chapter 33, verse 4, 
But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What a moment of grace. What a moment when he thought, I deserve nothing but punishment and judgment, and I'm getting what's coming to me today, and instead, he's received with open arms. Esau is a beautiful picture of our heavenly father in this moment, that we think we don't deserve to come back to the father's house, but he comes running, and he embraces us. And the very next thing that Jacob does in response to this incredible grace being given to him, you know what it was? He built an altar. The very next thing, the Bible says he spent a hundred pieces of silver to buy a plot of ground right there so that he could build an altar, so that he could make a sacrifice to God. What was it? It was an altar of remembrance. In fact, he gave that altar a name. He called it El Elohi Israel. It means the mighty God of Israel. Jacob was overwhelmed in this moment with the goodness of God, that he would love him, that he would accept him, that he would give him a second chance with his brother. And so he built an altar of remembrance. You look into the book of Joshua, you see Joshua's leading the nation of Israel, a nation of people, an entire generation that has grown up in the wilderness. Under Moses, they, they got out of bondage in Egypt, but they never got to where God wanted them to go. They spent all their life hearing about this promised land, all their life hearing about what God wanted to do for them, what he could do for them, and it just never happened until this day. In Joshua 3 and 4, they are on the banks of the Jordan River, and God is going to supernaturally part the waters, and they're going to walk across from their wilderness wandering to the place of promise, to their destiny, their God-intended purpose. And so they're crossing over the Jordan in a dry riverbed. And God gives a command to the leader, Joshua. He says, Joshua, this, this is going to change the life of the people. They're never going to be the same again. They're never going back to where they used to be. I'm, I'm changing the story. And so it's important that they don't forget. So here's what I want you to do. Joshua, I want you to send 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, back into the river where the priests are standing holding the ark. And I want you to have them each pick up a stone and bring it back to the shore. And he had them build an altar. Why did they build an altar there? Well, the Bible tells us exactly why. In Joshua chapter 6, or chapter 4, verse 6, God says these stones are to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Talking about an altar of remembrance, an altar that you can go to and, and give God praise for all that he's done in your life. You know, five years ago, I was thinking about this very story as my family was going on our own wilderness journey. God had spoke to us about leaving the church that we had been serving at for a decade, that he was going to call us to, to pastor a church, but he didn't tell us where. 
And so we stepped out in faith and, and we began this journey with our daughters. Our three girls loaded up in the minivan with us. We, we turned our church keys in. We, we turned the keys to the house over to the realtor. We got in our minivan and we left North Texas not knowing where we were going, just walking by faith, trusting God. We had one destination we knew we were going to, and that was because we had a vacation planned with my wife's mom and dad in Marietta. And so we left on this adventure, and we told our daughters, we said, this is going to be a great adventure, <laughs> because when it's over, we're going to have a new house, we're going to have a new church, we're going to have a new school, new neighbors. This is our great adventure summer. And secretly, we were sweating bullets. We didn't know what God was up to. We just knew that God was leading us. And I began to think about this story somewhere on the highway. And I told my wife, I said, you know what we need to do? Somewhere on this journey, we need to stop and we need to collect stones with our girls. We need to collect stones because however this story ends and wherever God leads us, because we know he's faithful, we're going to build an altar with those stones. We're going to build an altar so that when our children ask us, hey, Dad, what are those stones for? We can say this was the moment that God showed up. When God parted the way, parted the waters and made a way where there seemed to be no way. When God came through and, and he fulfilled his promise in our lives. So that's what we did. We stopped and we gathered stones together, all five of us. And then the girls insisted we pick up a sixth one for our dog. She was part of the journey, so we got six stones. And then somewhere just outside of Nashville, as we were heading towards Marietta for a week of vacation, I got a phone call from one of the elders of this church. They said, Pastor Aaron, you don't know me. I don't know you, but we've been, we've been praying about you. We've been listening to some of the sermons you've been preaching, and, and we want to talk to you about coming and pastoring this church in Wrightsville. Wrightsville, Wrightsville, I know Wrightsville, that sounds familiar. And so, so I pulled up Google real quick while I put them on speakerphone, and I dropped the pin on Wrightsville, and as the map zoomed in, and I watched it come so close to Marietta, where we were driving to, I just said, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> he said, what? Thinking, you know, we're, we're in Texas. We got to fly. We got to work this thing out. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. You want to meet in two days? So that's what we did. Just two days later, we came into town. We had a meeting with the elders of this church. We shared our heart, what God was speaking to us about the church we would pastor. They shared their heart for this community, and we prayed together without any further discussion. All five of those leaders said, we feel like this is God. We feel like you're supposed to be here. If the church agrees, when can you come? I'm here. I, I, I'm here now. No, you don't, yeah, but I mean, we know you have to go back. You know, you have to resign. You have to sell your house. No, you don't understand. I'm here. Like, I've been on the journey. I showed up. I'm not going anywhere. And within 30 days from the time that we left where we were, from 30 days, we moved into that house right on the other side of town, and we became the pastors of this church. And, and so my wife went to the store, and, and she bought a bowl, and we took those stones that we had collected 
on the way and our family put those stones in this bowl and it sits on the piano in our house so that we can look at it and we can never forget what those stones are for. We know what those stones are for. This is an altar of, of remembrance. This is something that we can look back on and we can say, you know what, God has been faithful. And in the moments where we have, and we do have the moments where we say, God, I don't know what you're doing now. I don't know what's next. We can look back at a moment in an altar of thanksgiving and say, God, you're a come through God. You're a faithful God. You never leave us or forsake us. God, in the moments that we needed you, you showed up. You parted the waters. You made a way. That's an altar of remembrance. Some of you need to build that kind of altar today. You need to reestablish the altar of praise. See, some of the stuff that you're, you're complaining about today are the very things that you were asking God for a year ago. Isn't it funny how that happens to us? Today, this week, you were cursing that car that was on your prayer request list last year. You, you, you cursed that house that's breaking down. You wanted that house. You cursed that spouse. You wanted that spouse. You asked God for them. You need to go back to an altar of remembrance. You need to go back to an altar of praise and say, thank God for giving me what I need. Because if we don't, next generation loses sight of the goodness of God. Your kids start asking questions like, why do we have to go to church? Why, why, do, we have, why do we have to do that? They don't know why. They just see the what. When we lose the, al the altar of remembrance. When we forget to praise God and acknowledge God and thank God for all he's doing in our life. Can I give you one of the saddest verses in all the Bible? To me, this is one of the saddest verses. It's in Judges. Chapter two and verse 10. And it's speaking about the generation that came after Joshua, after those altar builders. It says, after that whole generation, Joshua's generation, had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't know God. Why? Because their families stopped building altars. They stopped celebrating. The altar was a one-time experience. God had done something before, but we don't go that way anymore. We don't pass by that place anymore. We don't tell that story anymore. We don't talk about how God got you to where you are anymore. We need to build altars of remembrance today. Has God been good to you? Amen. I mean, come on. Has he been good? Has he been faithful in your life? Has he been faithful? Don't wait for something to be broken to come to the altar. Come blessed. Come bountiful, come full, come lavish, come all in and say, God, you've been so good. How could I not, how could I not come back and give you praise? I want to tell you about one more altar. And I want to ask the worship team if you guys will come and help me out today. I want to tell you there's an altar that is available called the altar of renewal. An altar of renewal. Jesus said this when he was describing the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Can I just be just honest with you here? Listen, 
And, and I don't say this in a critical way. I, I just, this is how I really feel. If you have given your life to Jesus and you profess to be a Christian and a child of God and you have no desire for the altar, something is wrong. Okay, I, just let that be, let that be a, a warning flare that goes up in your heart today. Something is wrong. The Bible gives us this invitation. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, can you imagine if, if we went out to eat together this weekend and it was the best meal you ever ate and you're like, oh, that was so amazing. And I go, man, I, I agree. I have never eaten food that good. And then you said, well, hey, do you want to go back? Nah. Nah, I'm good. Once is good. I never want to eat there again. Something is wrong if we don't have a desire to come back to the altar. The, the psalmist said it like this. The psalmist said in Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, my God. My soul yearns, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Psalm 42, he said, just as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. There's something in me, it desires, I, I just... I want to drink. I want to drink from that fountain. I want to drink of your presence. I want to come back to an altar and be renewed. You were never intended to have just one drink of living water. Because you know what I've noticed about us? We leak. <laughs> right? We leak. You can have an experience with God and, man, your, your heart is full. Your mind is renewed. I mean, you're ready to attack hell with a squirt gun. You're like, you're ready to go. And then what? A week goes by, a season goes by, difficult days come, unexpected things happen, and we feel like God is a thousand miles away. And we've all been there before, and we'll be there again. Why? Because we've got to continually build altars of renewal. You say, God, I just want to come back into your presence. On Friday night, I was at the men's conference with several guys from our church and about a thousand other men. And at the end of the service on Friday night, the speaker invited men to come to the altar for a very specific reason. Hundreds of guys flooded into the altars. And then he said, if there's any pastors out there that you didn't already answer the altar call yourself, would you come and just begin to pray over guys? So Pastor Chris and I, we went down to the altar and we couldn't even get close. I mean, we were halfway back the aisle, and we're just step, we're stepping over people. We're just trying to get to the front so we can just pray over people. Do you know what happened? I was down there in the front. I, God bless this guy. Lord, bless him. Lord, help him. Lord, minister to him. Lord, forgive him. Heal him. And, and I wasn't there too long. That I, I'll be honest with you. I started praying for myself. Because as I was there in the altar, I just sensed God's power. I sensed God's presence, and, and I stopped saying, God, do something in his life. Do something in his life. I just started saying, God, bless me. God, give me more. God, I want more of your spirit. I want a fresh touch of your grace in my life. God, I need more than I had yesterday. God, renew me today. Fill me with your spirit. That's why when you read the account of the first century church, you see on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the spirit. But you turn two more pages and they're in a prayer meeting and it says they were all filled with the Spirit. 
Turn a couple more pages and you see him ministering in another area. And it says, and everybody in the house was filled with the Spirit. Why? Because it's not a one-time experience. There's an altar of renewal. There's a, a fountain that you can drink freely from. And that's the invitation of God's Word to you today. The Word of God, the very back of the book, it begins with an invitation and it ends with an invitation. Revelation 22:17 says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, come. And let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So we're going to do something at the end of this service. And we don't typically do this, but I feel like this is God today. I want to ask if you'd stand with me all over this room. And if you're physically able, I want to invite you right now to come and to stand with me in the altar. Would you just come and find a place to stand right here in the altar? If you can't physically come, that's okay. We understand. But come, and come close. Come close so that everyone can, can come in today. I think sometimes we just need to be intentional in our move towards God. Now understand this, God, God is not limited geographically. God can move anywhere at any time on anyone. In fact, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't just have an altar moment right here at the end of a service on Sunday, but that you would reestablish the altar moments in your life. That tomorrow morning you build an altar, that you kindle a fire when you open the Word of God. That as you're driving to work or, or when you're cleaning the house or whatever you're doing, that you create places and spaces where you can connect with the heart of God. And so I'm going to ask this worship team to just sing a song of worship and, and whatever altar you need to build today. I'm going to ask you right where you stand or where you kneel to do that. For some of you, it is an altar of repentance. There is sin in your life that separates you from God. Give it to Him. Turn it over to Him. Repent of that sin. For some of you, it's an altar of rededication. You love God. He lives in your life. But you, your life hasn't been aligned with the Spirit that lives in you. And there's some things He wants to work out. And there's some things that you need to lay down and say, God, I, I give this to you. This attitude. Lord, this, this heart, this this habit, whatever it is, God, I, I give it to you. For some of you, you need to come to an altar of praise and remembrance. God's been so good to you, and you've done nothing but complain. God, you realize today, man, some of the stuff I'm complaining about is actually the stuff I was praying for. God answered my prayer, and I've lost sight of the altar of remembrance. He's been faithful. He's been faithful to you. He's been faithful to you. And if you need God to renew you today, you feel dry, you feel empty, just take this moment to pursue his heart. As they sing this song, let's just build the altar right now with our praise.